0: Um, This morning, we're going to take a break from our current sermon series on John's gospel, and we're just going to set that aside. And uh, Instead, I thought we'd spend the next month or or, uh, of December with this story of Jesus' birth, which I know comes as absolutely no surprise to you because we we expect to hear the Christmas stories this time of year, but you have to know this. Um, The purpose of this series is not to give you the holiday feels, though I do appreciate the... The design back here. Isn't this great? We've got a nice fireplace. Thank you, Lauren, for, uh, for loaning us that. I've told the Christmas presents were done by the, the children uh, of the church, and um, uh, it's good to feel at home up here. Um, but, you know, there is something nostalgic about this time of year. There is something that is heartwarming about hearing stories of the shepherds and the wise men and the manger scene. Um, But if I stand up here for the next four or so weeks and I just kick out happy holiday pills, I will have failed you. Because to do that would be to ignore the very reality of Christmas this year. But more importantly, I would say to do that would be to ignore the very reality of Christmas every year. So here's what I thought we'd do. Rather than ignore life that's taking place outside the walls of this church, I'm going to ask that we lean back into it a little bit, and that we use that perspective to help us see something we may have never even considered about Christmas before. So for the next month, we're going to revisit all the familiar stories of the faith, but here's what I thought we'd do. Here's what I want us to focus on. Ask this question, what is Christmas? What is Christmas? What is Christmas in the midst of division? What is Christmas in the midst of frustration, confusion? What is Christmas in the midst of isolation and illness, God forbid, even death? See, we have this real unique opportunity this year to look beyond the Hallmark holiday card and to finally get real about what this baby lying in a manger really actually means for us. In fact, you might remember the book of Isaiah, we referred to it in our Advent reading this morning, it tells us that the promise of Christmas actually infiltrated a situation much like ours. Isaiah 9-2 tells us that there was a people walking around literally in darkness. Isaiah had written those words to a, a nation whose future existence was entirely uncertain. They were facing the threat of invasion, fear was rampant. Food was scarce. The economy was a total wreck. Anxiety was palpable, and Isaiah tells this people, "If you're looking for hope right now, here's where you'll find it." He says, "The Lord Himself will give you a sign," and this is what it looks like. He said, "The sign is this: the virgin will conceive and bear a son," and it's by this sign that the people who have been walking around in this world with their lights turned off will finally experience light again. Isaiah says, on them the light of Christmas has dawned. And it's with this prophecy, hundreds of years before Christ even came, that the roots of Christmas are formed. Uh, Many of you know Reed. Uh, Reed is our tech arts director here at Spring Hill. We we credit him for keeping us alive all year. Uh, But Reed dropped a total bomb on me a few weeks ago. Right in the middle of a staff meeting, he reminded me and all the rest of the staff, we have just four hours to go until Christmas Eve. Time flies in church land. Right? Including today, we have four worship services. That's it. And then we hit Christmas Eve. So you have to forgive me. I have this sense of urgency this morning that we get this series right from the very get go. And here's the lesson I want us to hone in on. This is what I want us to hear for the next four hours that we'll spend together. The definition of Christmas is this you are never alone. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump into our lesson today. And I I want us to find out today uh, what this definition means in light of our doubts and struggles that we often bring to this season. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to open up to Luke chapter 1 together. Let's pray. God, we ask as we open up your word this morning that you would illuminate it to us. Lord, the scriptures tell us that you are the light of the world, the light that shines in the darkness that is never overcome. And so we just pray, God, that as we open up the story of Christmas, you would bring us that light. God, we trust in the Holy Spirit. We know that the Spirit and the Word is connected, so we just ask, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us now? God, lead us, guide us, renew us in our faith. And Lord, when we bring to you our doubts or our struggles, our our hesitations this time of year, would you remind us again what Christmas is all about? God, we thank you for being with us this morning. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Let's read. We're going to lead from Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 26 to 38. 26 to 38. Hear God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. So many of you know I have two girls, a six year old and a three year old uh, at home. And one of our favorite games uh, to play over the last few years has been something we call Firefly. Um, I don't remember how we came up with it or even when, but it's been a staple before bedtime for years now. And this is how the game goes Um, we put a blanket up and over our heads. And then we call for this imaginary firefly to come and see us. We say firefly firefly where are you? Firefly firefly is it true? And as we're playing this game, the goal for me is to sneak my arm outside of the blanket and to turn the flashlight on my phone and then to wiggle it towards the blanket so that it looks like a firefly. And it lands on the blanket, the girls go to poke it and we lift it up and put it back down again. It's a game that goes on and on and on, but you know that it's also a game that is not going to last forever, right? All it takes is for one of the girls to get old enough or curious enough to realize what might be going on behind the scenes and then it's game over. A few months ago my oldest girl Taylor, she finally caught onto my ruse and we were sitting under the covers and she said, "Dad, I'm pretty sure Firefly's not real." I said, how could you say that? I mean, how could, Firefly's visited you all these years. She said, no, um, I just watched you put your phone into your jeans, and the light is shining through your pocket. <laughs> and just like that, Firefly was no longer. She thought it was hilarious. I was devastated. But fast forward to early this week. Um, I'm getting tailored bed, and she says to me, she asked me, she says, Dad, if Firefly wasn't real... How do I know that Christmas is real? Now that'll get you thinking, right? How do you navigate that one? You know, it's understandable that a six-year-old would, would ask a question like that. Like, what is the difference, Dad, between make-believe and reality? You know, one of the things that I think we, we often get confused and mixed up in this season is that the magic of Christmas often undermines the miracle of Christmas, You feel me? The magic of Christmas all over the place often overshadows the miracle of Christmas. We conjure up this enchanted feeling in the air where we fill our homes with scents of cinnamon and vanilla, and we watch the wonder of Christmas played out on movies and on TV. And yet, as one colleague put it so well, he said, if we were really authentic about this story of Jesus' birth, we would cover our homes with hay And smells of manure, right? And we would open up our windows to the noises of animals in the night chill. And we all know this year feels a bit different. I don't know if you watched the Macy's Day Parade, but it just was one-off, wasn't it? Like we're all trying the best that we can to recreate what we know of this season. And yet as we look around, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that not all is merry and bright. I think as challenging as this year has been, many in our world are asking the same question. How can we be sure that Christmas isn't some kind of a a firefly setup? How do we know that Christmas isn't some conjured up scene for the field goods? I want to invite you to look really closely at our scripture this morning because we're going to find out that the entire Christmas story really began with a question just like that. In fact, in our lesson today, a young woman is told the impossible has happened. And without even hesitating, Mary wants to know if this is real or not. Did you catch that? Look at this in verse 34. We'll put it up on the screens here. The angel tells her you're going to be a mother. She wants to know, how will this be? Just imagine for a moment a loud pounding on your front door. The kind that says with authority, you better answer and do it now. And as you peek out the eye hole of your door, you see a man dressed in uniform. He's holding a paper in his hand, and now your heart is doing its own pounding. And as you turn the doorknob and peek the door open, the official tells you, I have an order from the United States, uh, from the President of the United States of America, and I need you to come with me. It's a doubtful scenario, isn't it? The probability of that situation happening on our front porches is really doubtful in the middle of Montana. So what happens when a messenger from Almighty God appears in this tiny town of Nazareth and tells this young, unassuming woman, you found favor with God, I have a mission for you, and here's what it looks like. You're going to have a son out of wedlock. We're going to name him Jesus. He's going to be the Savior of the world. See, it's understandable that Mary would have questions, isn't it? Remember, Mary's town of of Nazareth, that that was a no-named town, a village in the middle of nowhere. It was an unheard of speck on the map, an irreputable kind of town. People said things like, what good comes from Nazareth? That was the kind of reputation it had. And yet, the very presence of God comes down over this village, and the angel Gabriel interrupts this teenager's life and tells her, you're going to be the one to fulfill a prophecy some 700 years old. Look at how this plays out in verse 32. This child will be great, he tells her. He'll be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Really, just put your place in, uh, put yourself in Mary's place for a minute. This is craziness, right? This is crazy talk. Just think about what she's been told. First, she's told you're gonna have a child. Well, Mary's no dummy, right? She's old enough to know how that works. And she, of all people, knows this is an impossibility. She's not even married. There's no morning sickness at play here. And then she's told, by the way, um, this child that you're going to have, he's going to take the throne of David. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. Parents, grandparents, let me talk to you for a minute. When you had your first child, did any of the visitors that came to hold your little baby tell you how their life would go? Any of them tell you, well, this child's going to grow up to be a pilot. This child, they're going to lead a Fortune 500 company. This, this child, they're, they're, they're bound and determined for major success. You better watch out. No, if your life was anything like mine, it was more like, oh, look at the cute little baby. And then she spits up all over your in-laws. And from the very beginning of the Christmas story, Mary asked this question that we're so often too scared to ask aloud. She says, how will this be? And it wasn't just Mary. This was the theme of Jesus's life. Just skip with me all the way to the last moments of Jesus' time on earth. Just after his death and resurrection, and one of his closest followers, he hears the news about his best friend. You'll remember his name well. It was Doubting Thomas. And he has the same question. Look at this in verse, uh, chapter 20 of John's Gospel, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of those nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Can you hear it? How can this be? Thomas asked. See, and I think we we so often put Jesus in the feel-good category of plastic Christmas and we fail to understand or even comprehend the absolute miracle of who he is. Because here's the challenge, when you only see things through a human perspective, and that's all you're looking for, then comes the doubt. I love how R.C. Sproul once said it, he said, look at this up on the screens, he said, the issue of faith is not so much whether we believe in God, but whether we believe the God we believe in. That's worth repeating, let me say that again. The issue of faith is not so much whether we believe in God, but whether we believe the God we believe in. I mean, if there was ever a season where so many collectively experienced the same trials and doubts and heartache worldwide, it is now. We are in so many ways a culture and society that is walking around in the shadows. We can't hardly tell up from down anymore. I heard a politician just this week declare for all to hear that Christmas is canceled. I thought, thank you so much for letting me know. We'll take that into advisement. But really consider this for a minute. I mean, is that even a possibility to cancel Christmas? See, here's my guess. My guess is that it's a lot easier for us to put our faith in something that we can see and touch and smell. Far easier than it is to put our faith in something that is unseen. In fact, the book of Hebrews tells us this. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things that are not seen. And it's so difficult, so challenging for us to put our faith in the things that we can't see. So we've made Christmas about the tangibles. We've made it about the stockings hung from the chimney. We've made it about the gifts under the tree, even the family gathered around the table. All this is good stuff, except that so often in the chaos of it all, the birthday boy gets pushed out of his own birthday party. Just ponder this with me. Look at this in verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel gave her an answer. The Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The child to be born will be called holy. He's the Son of God. And then I love this in verse 37. Gabriel goes all in. He says, do you realize that nothing is impossible with God? It's an incomprehensible concept, isn't it? How will this be? How is this possible? The Scottish theologian Donald MacLeod said this. He said, The virgin birth is posted on guard at the door of the mystery of Christmas, and none of us should think of hurrying past it. Let me invite you to just sit with that question How is it? How can this be? See, I think the more that we ponder that together, the more that we talk about that, the more we begin to realize just how miraculous this Christ child is. It's in that wrestling that we begin to set aside the cliches of Christmas. In fact, I'm convinced that one of God's favorite things to do is to take an impossible situation and to reveal his glory and showing us something we never even saw coming. I think so often, like Mary or Thomas, our understanding of God's power is determined by our limited human experience. You no, know, we doubt not because of what we see but because of what we don't see. You ever notice how every miracle of Christ began with a problem that no human being thought could be solved? A man paralyzed from birth is lying on his mat in despair, right? No way is he gonna walk again. A crowd of people are starving out in the middle of nowhere. How is a few loaves and some fish actually going to feed all those people? A raging storm is about to capsize the disciples' boat. They're goners. No one can calm that storm. A ruler's daughter has just died. You can't raise somebody from the dead. A blind man, born from birth, sits wondering how he's going to get through this life. Nobody even conceives that he could see once more. And in every miracle of Christ, there is this moment that seems to bring this question back up to the surface, where everybody around Christ asks, how can this be? That's the business God stepped into at Christmas, of taking an impossible situation and showing to us by his power and his grace and his might, what possible looks like. And yet still, let's, today, let's be honest for a minute. Um, Even with 2020 in particular, we come to Jesus completely uncertain and unsure. You know, we look around us and we see a fallen world and we wonder, has God left us? I mean, is Christmas canceled? And if it hasn't, if he's truly with us, we, we wonder what this means, right? Because this pandemic has revealed more sin and brokenness and fear than we've ever seen. It's revealed more selfishness and pride and division than we've ever seen. And so we wonder, Lord, can you really clean this mess up? And we look at an increasingly secular society with little moral compass left, and we ask, is God still with us? is? God still powerful and good? And we read this promise of Gabriel to Mary that the Lord's kingdom will have no end, and we wonder, how will this be? Let me, bring you, uh, let me bring you back to this, the beginning of our passage, um, because I think that there's an answer to that question that we skipped over at the very beginning, the most important of this passage, part of this passage. look at this in verse 28. It says, "And the angel Gabriel came to Mary and said, "Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you." See, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. You with me? That even when we doubt, even in our sin, God would still step into the darkness of this life and shine an unstoppable light for this world. That the Father would take an impossible mess, and in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Christ, He would make a way where no one saw a way before. As we step into the unknown of December, and let me tell you, it's it's got some unknowns. I want to extend an invitation to you by God's word today. Um, Every time you feel as though something has been taken away from you this holiday season, um, every time that you realize that things aren't quite how they used to be, every time you feel the loneliness or the melancholy that so many are struggling with right now, hear this promise. This is the series. This is the theme. I'm going to wear it out. The Lord is with you. And if, like, Mary, you're asking the question of how can this be? I want to speak to some people at home right now. I'm speaking to some shut ins who I know you haven't been outside your house for a long time. And you're wondering, Ryan, I don't feel it. I don't feel that God's with me. Or you can't see it, or I'm not sure. Let me invite you to do this. Keep asking the question. Keep wondering aloud, how will this be? How can this be? Because in doing that, you're now beginning to understand the absolute miracle of Christmas. Whatever preconceived idea of Christmas we have, I assure you, that's just fluff. Um, Here is the promise. Hear it again right from God's word. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the son of God, for nothing is impossible with him. And that king still rules over a kingdom which has no end. Let me pray for us as we step into this this new season together. God, we ask this morning, Lord, that in our doubts and in our moments of weariness, of loneliness, of even despair, God, that you would promise, you would reveal to us your promise, rather, that you are with us. God, we ask this week that as we leave these doors and we go back into a world that is desperate for hope, Lord, that it wouldn't just be hope in a vaccine, Lord, or hope in our economy, or hope that everything goes exactly as planned for the holidays, Lord, but that we would be a witness that reminds people of the hope of Jesus Christ. And so, God, we thank you. We're just gonna keep having Christmas over and over again the next four hours until we get to the celebration and the culmination of who you are. And, Lord, then we pray that you would help us to live it out, not just this week, not just next week, not just in the new year, Lord, but our whole life long. God, take our doubts and turn it into faith this morning, we ask. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. amen.